How about that? There we go. There we are. We need to pray for the electronics here. We are like having headsets. So Jesus wants me to talk, and apparently somebody else doesn't want me to talk because they keep shutting the thing off. If you need Spanish translation at all, we do Spanish translation in this service. So you can see Shelly right over there, and she'll hook you up with a headset, right? Are we good with that? So if you need Spanish translation at all, we do Spanish translation in the 10 a.m., which is also a great idea for those of you who know some people who speak Spanish. And English isn't their first language. And I've been told I talk really fast. So I had some people like, no, no, I don't need any translation at all. You know, you're fine. You're fine. I'm good. I'm good. I can understand. And they're like, wow, you talk really fast. I don't know if I can follow you. So anyway, we have that available. We're talking about prayer. Prayer. Prayer is one of those things we know we should do, but too often we don't. Prayer is one of those things. You ready for this one? This is my favorite. Prayer is one of those things that we actually if we're honest, don't know what we're doing, right? We have no clue. How do we pray? Better yet, how do we pray effectively? How, does God actually hear us? What is prayer? What's this all about? So we're going to talk, we've been talking about prayer the last few weeks. And um, as Christians, prayer is central to Christianity. In the ministry of the church itself, it's central to the ministry of the church itself. When Paul was speaking to the early church, he told them, I desire first of all that prayer be established. Before he said, be put in a leadership structure, before he said, do anything else, and that the people lift their hands without wrath and without doubt, that prayer would be offered. That's the first thing he did. In fact, also, often uh, in, in, the Old, in, in the Old Testament, what would happen is the Jews were required, if there were 12 Jewish males in a city, they were required to start a synagogue. In other words, if there are 12 believers in the town and there's no church, God's not having any of that. So you don't think church wasn't important? The synagogue was the church in the Old Testament. The church in the New Testament is a completely different entity and has a different expression entirely. But the idea was that if there were 12 believing men, they were required to start an assembly. If there were not 12 believing men, the women were responsible to create a prayer meeting. And what was one of the things they were praying for? God, send us the 12 believing men so that we can establish a church in this city. But the women often prayed by the river. They would, pray, they would go and find running water or moving water, and there they would go and pray. You see it in the New Testament. Paul goes into a city. He can't find a synagogue. He can't find believers. So where does he go next? He goes down to the water, and what's he do? He finds believing women, Jewish believers, praying by the river. And he begins to establish the church through the prayer meeting that was brought about. Many of the, I'll give you one for women. If you really understand that at least three or four, probably more than that, but I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm definitely being conservative on this, at least three or four New Testament churches were established by Paul encountering women, not men. Totally true. The most significant givers and supporters of Paul's ministry, Paul started all the early churches, one of the big catalysts for it, one of the, the biggest givers, the biggest donors, and some of the early leaders within the early church were women, not men. So ladies, you don't think you have a significant role? You don't think God views you in a significant way? You may as well throw, who told you that? That's what I would say to you. Say this with me. Jesus, Jesus always, always answers, answers prayers. prayers. You know how he answers it? Ever say it with me. Yes, yes. no, and not yet. <laughs> we love the yeses, man. Yes, yes. Tell me a yes, man. We don't, it's like we can't hear the no. When he tells us no, it's like, he didn't say that. That's not God. I rebuke you, devil. That's kind of like how we do. 
or not yet, that's my favorite. When you're like, not yet, you're like, not yet. What do you mean, not yet? You know God's told you something, right? Anybody, it's a lot of people here. Mostly, mostly, this is the big struggle. Singles have this struggle a lot, where God's like, I know, I know he's told me I'm going to have a marriage. I know he told me I'm going to have a person, but it's just not yet. You're in between. I know God's told me I have a purpose. I know God's told me I have a destiny, but I'm like, it's just, I'm in the not yet. The not yet is the worst. That's the worst, but I'm not going to get into not. I could do a whole teaching on not yet, but I won't. Uh, prayer is a constant conversation with God. So you want to understand prayer, let's just say it together. Prayer is constant conversation with God. What does this look like? We've created prayer into a ritual. We've created prayer into a religion. Prayer can be structured. I'm not against, you know, the Bible's not against it. It's actually for structured prayer. So there's times where we come together and there's a structured prayer. We're going to pray through these things. We're going to get these things done. This is where we're going to present to heaven. But what prayer is at its, at its essence is a constant conversation with God. Here's a great verse on that, right? Here we talk about that. We talk about this, but what does this really look like? 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. See, she's rejoicing right now in the front row. Pray, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. You want to know what the will of the Lord is? I'm showing it to you right there. For this is the will of the Lord for you in Christ Jesus. What is his, what is his will? That you rejoice, that you pray without ceasing, and that you have gratitude in all circumstances. One of my favorites is the word rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And if you come from any kind of religious or churchy background, rejoice, rejoice, you just got to rejoice, brother. Well, what does rejoice mean? Isn't this a question? Do we really know what rejoicing means? Rejoicing means you had joy, go get it again. And I hear I love this one, I lost my joy. You know what the Bible says? Rejoice. There is no excuse for a Christian to have lost their joy. Rejoice means go find it. You don't have joy? Go find it. I'm waiting for the Lord to renew my joy. And he's waiting for you to re, go back and do it, go back and find it. That's what rejoice means. There should never, ever, ever be an attitude in the life of a believer where they have lost their joy. We all get disappointed. We all suffer loss. We all suffer setbacks. All of those things are true. But the Bible tells you rejoice. Go find joy. Find joy somewhere. Joy is there somewhere, and your responsibility is to find it. God's not going to do it for you. You have to rejoice. You have to go back and find joy, even if it's just simply going back to the joy of your salvation and saying, Lord, I just thank you that I know you. I thank you that I'm not alone. Find joy somewhere. Everybody say it with me. Find joy, find joy. Somewhere. somewhere. That's right. It's true. I could go further, but I won't. Simple joy. Jesus hears, he sees, and he cares. Do you know that? That's the joy that we have. We have the Lord, people. No matter what happens, we are, if you are in Christ and you have given your life to Jesus, that's what being born again means. Being born again doesn't mean you were raised in a family of believers. Being born again doesn't mean you sit in a church. Being born again means you have exchanged your being for his being. And you are born again. Not born of flesh and blood, but born of spirit. That's what salvation is. Salvation isn't a prayer. Salvation isn't an intellectual ascent where you just grow and learn and believe all of the right things. Be salvation is I give all that I am. It's the being for your being. I tell a story out of a woman on the beach, man. We were doing baptism. This is a favorite story. It bears repeating. 
And I was telling her, she's like, well, I've prayed the prayer and there's no difference. I said, yeah. I said, because it's not a prayer. It's an exchange of being. It's not some mantra that we say, you give your life away. And she said, oh, I'm not ready to do that. Oh, well then, you know, the conversation's over. So you're, you're, you're wanna, you wanna shake your fist at God and you wanna tell him that none of this, that Jesus is no different and all this other stuff that you wanna say, but the fact is, is that you're not willing to enter into the thing that he has told you. You're not willing to go where life is. It is the releasing all that I am for all that you are. That's baptism. I no longer live, you die, and Christ lives in me. Resurrection. The life I now live, I live unto Christ. Do you get the point? That's the illustration of the point that Jesus is trying to get across to us. We think it's just the prayer, you know, like Howdy Doody song or something, that we sing the song or we do the thing and everything's supposed to work. One, two, three. It doesn't work like that. It's life. It's the exchange of life. Great principle of spiritual things. You want to understand spiritual things and spiritual power. It is in a simple understanding of releasing and receiving. The whole spiritual world and the kingdom itself operates off of releasing and receiving. Salvation itself is centered in that principle. Releasing and receiving. All kingdom principles operate that way. That's why I had you do, what did we do right before? Release and receive. Some of you can't receive from God because your garage is so full of junk, man. So we got to release the junk, get everything out of the garage, have a really like a bargain, get rid of it sale, and receive back from Him. That's why Christians have a hard time, and even people themselves have a hard time receiving from God. I just can't receive from the Lord because there's probably something in you that's preventing that. There's probably some mindset, attitude, heart, there's something there that's not allowing you to receive. You got to get rid of what, you, what, what is preventing you and receive from Him. The power and the purposes of God are activated through specific action. So here we're coming back to prayer. All right. So how does the power of God actually work? You hear me say this all the time. I'm a practitioner. I'm not a theorist. I'm not interested in theories. I'm not interested in the sweet by and by. I'm interested in the power active here and now. The kingdom is now. The kingdom is at hand, Jesus said. It is within your grasp. But the key to that is how do we activate that world, the spirit world, the covenant of God into our world? The power of God and the purposes of God, the very purposes of God in your life are activated according to spiritual principles and according to specific principles. I tell you all the time, Jesus isn't going to work any harder than you. If you don't want it, he doesn't want it for you. He wants it more than you do, but he's not going to do it for you. He's not. You have to want it. You have to partner. I tell you, we think it's Reader's Digest. Jesus shows up with a check and balloons. Woo, here it is. doesn't work like that. Jesus shows up wearing work clothes. He says, you ready to get to work? You ready to come with me? I'll do all the heavy lifting, but you're going to help me. I'll do all the heavy lifting, but I'm going to give you specific instructions. It's a partnership. It has been that way from the very beginning. Very beginning. That's destiny. That's purpose. Salvation is a partnership as well. You're agreeing. Power and purposes. Prayer is always communing with God. So what do you do when you're praying? So what does it mean to pray without ceasing? What does this mean? You know what I'm saying? Like pray without ceasing. People have taken this to extremes. In church history, there have literally been cultures of people who have left, gone to live in the wilderness, away from society, to spend their time, as much time as their waking time possible, in prayer. Because they're trying to take this verse to the maximum. Is that really what he's saying? Leave everything, go live in a cave somewhere and pray without ceasing? That's, is that what he's saying? It's not what he's saying. He's saying when your heart is idling, as you go about your day, be in communion with me. Be in conversation with me. 
be in an open posture to lay things out before me and be in an open posture to receive things from me. Be in relationship with me. Now realize you've got to do your work, but there's times where your heart's idling. You know what I'm talking about? You have that idle time. And the idle time is what are you saying, Lord? What are you, hear- what are you saying and what are you doing? Do you know what a privilege it is that we have that we can ask? You can't ask your mayor, your con- you can't ask anybody in authority, what are you doing? What are you saying? What's on your heart? What's on your mind? But Jesus gives you that opportunity. And do you know what an honor it is for him to give that to you? So when your heart is idling, it's like, what are you saying, Lord? What are you doing? What are you saying? What are you doing? Speak to me. And you present your heart and your needs before him. This is the prayer that is without ceasing. This is this constant communion that is without ceasing. Next slide. When a person, place, or thing, or circumstance is on your heart. There's another thing. Anybody ever have this? You're driving down the road. And all of a sudden, Aunt Judy pops up, you know? You're just like, all of a sudden, you start thinking about, you know, whoever. Grandpa, grandma. You start thinking about a situation, a circumstance. Someone just rises in your heart. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm saying? What that is, is that is a prompt. I'll use, a, I'll use our word, prophetic impulse to pray. That's what that is. You'll see someone, someone will be on your heart, some situation will come up, circumstance. Some of you, you have circumstances that you try to forget because you're in them, and then it comes on you. You know, well, the devil's trying to visit you with him, but what you do is that's an indicator to pray. That's an indicator to just release into that circumstance. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about just briefly here. So when something comes upon your heart, that's an, oh, I was thinking about you today. Whew, like butterflies flying around, you know? When somebody puts it on your heart, like, I'll give you a real simple practice. I know I got notes on the screen, but we're just going to relate, right? A real simple practice. I'm a pastor, so people, people, a lot of people come on my heart, right? Somebody asked me the other day, my son goes, you don't like the phone, Dad. I go, no, I don't like the phone calls that I get. That's, that's not, you know, when somebody dies, I get the phone call. When somebody ODs, I get the phone call, you know? When somebody's in the hospital, I get the phone call. And it's not that I won't take the call. It's just that you try being ambushed by that. So I try to use it as a filter. So when I get the call, I got to filter that. I got to back up. I try to get myself in the mind and the heart of the Lord before I actually even make the call, if you understand. So what's on your heart? You know, when God begins to put things on your heart and he begins to show you and reveal things to you, it's to pray. And what I do when this stuff happens to me, sometimes I don't know what to pray, Right? Your cousin's on your heart, your neighbor's on your heart, your work is on your heart, whatever's on your heart, and you're like, okay, I don't even know what to say. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Can we be honest? Can we be people of truth in the house of truth? Can we like be really true? We don't know what to say. And I used to tell the Lord that. I go, I don't even know what to pray. And the Lord would say, release my spirit. My spirit knows what to do. When you understand that prayer is the bridge between the natural and the supernatural, that's what it is. God does nothing but by invitation. God does nothing but by invitation. You understand that? We are the arbiters of two worlds. That was the, how man was created. Somehow we've lost that and we've thrown all that up and say, well, God's going to do what God's going to do. Not without prayer, he won't. No, he will not. Prayer is the bridge. If you don't ask, you don't have. It's a very simple principle. Mankind was given authority in this world. And our prayers bring his world into ours. Without prayer, there is no in-breaking. Or the effect of the inbreaking is minimized. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I would do, and God would be on my heart, and he'd be like, I want to do something in Carmen's life. 
Or I see Carmen, for instance. Like, she's on my heart. I feel it. Right? And I'm like, I don't even know what to pray for Carmen. He's like, release my spirit. My spirit knows what to do. And so I just practice. Lord, I release the fullness of your spirit into Carmen's life right now. Holy Spirit knows what he wants to do. I don't need to know. You know? I don't need to know everything. He doesn't need to know the details. But God is looking for a bridge to come in and work in her life. And he's honoring me by giving me. That's what it is. It's an honor. So when God puts people on your heart, he's honoring you. It's a trust. We think it's, oh, it's the burden of the Lord, brother. Really? You got to switch that, man. You got to stop looking at it as a burden. God said, call the things of my heart a delight. That's what he rebuked the people for in Isaiah. Is because everything God asked them to, oh, it's a burden. I got to go to church. It's a burden. Oh, I got to give. God wants a portion of my income. I got to give. And the Lord goes, you want to know why you don't have blessing and you don't have kingdom flowing? It's because you call the things of my heart a burden. Stop calling them a burden and start calling them a delight. Change the way you see it. God is not putting someone on your heart because it's the burden of the Lord, brother. No, he's honoring you. You mean you're asking me? Yeah, Kevin, I want to use you. Release my spirit. Let me bridge into that person's life through you. What? That's what it is. It's not your eloquence of prayer that brings change. It's your partnership and agreement in the spirit that releases it. That's all it is. He's looking for a conduit. Sometimes he may give you the words. Sometimes he may not. Sometimes you may know exactly what to pray. Other times it's just releasing. I release. Release the power of God. I decree that the circumstances that are over her life, if I feel something attached to it, then I'm going to decree. I decree the purposes of God to be known. And whatever is coming against her right now, I command you to lift whatever circumstances coming. There's a different ways of doing it. But I didn't have any articulate words. we got to simplify prayer in order to build it. We start with prayer up here at this level, and, we can't, and nobody can achieve it. It's like somebody putting 250 pounds on a bench press, and you can barely lift 20. You know what happens? Uh, uh, I don't want to do that again. You know? But when you start lifting lighter weight, it's like, oh, no, oh, check it out. I'm getting a little prayer muscle going on here. Somebody's like, yeah, you could use a little bit of that, Kevin. You know, it's like, keep talking. Talk yourself into that. But, so this is how it works. We just release his spirit. Prayer comes from what's on your heart. What's on your heart today? What is he putting on your heart? And that again comes from, Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing? What is on your heart? Father, what do you say? What matters to you today? Where do you want to go? Lord, this is what's on my heart. I have a crazy day. I pray, God, I just need your wisdom. I need your strength. It's all of that. What's on your heart? What's on God's heart concerning the matter? You see things in the world. I'm jumping way ahead. You see things in the world that are a burden to you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't have to go far. You know, pick a, pick a news channel, and there'll be plenty of things on the news that's going to be burdensome, and you'll be overwhelmed within 30 minutes because that's what the, that's what the world does is they're overwhelmed. The Bible calls it perplexity or de- of nations, problems that, they, that humanly cannot be solved. It's actually an indicator of the final days, you know, where nations have problems that they have no solution to or none of their solutions work. So God says that that marks the time of the end when the winding down of human history is represented of many things, but one of them is that. What do you do? Lord, I don't know what to do in that situation, but God, I just release your spirit to those people in Africa and poverty and earthquake and famine and fire, whatever it is. Lord, I just pray wisdom into our government. I don't even know what wisdom looks like, Lord. 
I have no idea what kind of wisdom is necessary to run a nation, but God, I release it. That's what it looks like. Our problem is, is that we cast off the burdens of our own heart. And what happens when we cast off the burdens of our own heart, you know what it leads to? Indifference. Your heart becomes callous because you're constantly casting off the burdens that are placed upon your heart. Now, I'm not saying you've got to capture 10 out of 10, but we should at least be in the 60 percentile. So if God burdens your heart 10 times, we should at least be hitting the ball at least 6 of the 10. You understand what I'm saying? And Christians become indifferent, 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 indifferent. And part of the reasons we become indifferent is because we don't know what we're doing, man. You know? It's okay if you don't say it with me. It's okay, it's okay. if I don't know what I'm doing. Come on, tell yourself that. It's okay. Some of you, you're so self, you've been so raised to be independent and so trained to be in control that the very thought of you not knowing what you're doing freaks you out. I got news for you. You don't know what you're doing. And it's only a matter of time before life shows you you don't know what you're doing. Pick an area. You don't know what you're doing. But guess what? Say this with me, now we'll go back. Say it's okay. It's okay. If, see, this is therapy for some people here. It's okay, it's okay. if I don't know, I don't know what, I'm doing. what I'm doing. Because Jesus, Jesus knows, knows what he's doing. And I have the mind of Christ. Did you know that? He knows what he's doing. Where's the mind of Christ? In the spirit, Christian. You can get in the spirit and access supernatural wisdom. You can get in the spirit and access supernatural understanding. Church's biggest decree or biggest problem is we try to operate something spiritual off of human principles. Human principles are good so long as they're connected to the Spirit. If they're not connected to the Spirit, they're vain and empty. Well, there you are. (laughs) Prayer is a bridge for the kingdom in releasing the Spirit. Ready for this one? Say this with me. It's going to help some of you too. Prayer is not an apology. Lord, I'm just, you know, if you're not too busy today, um, you know, I was kind of thinking maybe. I mean, I don't want to interrupt you or anything. I don't want, you know, I'm sorry for even actually bothering you right now. If you feel like it and you're in a good mood, Jesus, just would you, would you kind of maybe think about it and, and, and consider it? I mean, I don't want, again, I'm sorry. Prayer's not an apology. You need to give yourself some high karates. You are not a beggar. You are sons and daughters through the blood of Jesus Christ. And my word, come on. I felt like the Lord said to me last night, tell them to act like it. You're sons and daughters. Act like it. Smack yourself around. Go to the mirror and give yourself a couple of high karates. You are a son of the king. What is your major malfunction? You are a daughter of the king. What is your major malfunction? Get right. Get your heart right. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Thanksgiving is the access to presence. Prayer means nothing without presence. God help us. Presence must must be encountered before prayer begins. You can pray immediately and all that, but the most powerful prayers come out of presence. Why? Because the Holy Spirit starts leading you. And the river starts flowing and it starts happening. And all of a sudden you're just riding this roller coaster. And you're praying and all these crazy things. You're like, what? Where am I? What? We enter his gates with thanksgiving. This is why we worship, guys. We worship not to say, look how keenly talented the band is. 
Wow, the way Jody's fingers just move across the piano. How elegant and serene. That neon guitar flashes me back to when I was in high school, when I was in our 80s rock band. How wonderful. We pray to bring you to a point of thanksgiving, to bring you into an expression of you unto Him. Why? That His presence can come. He inhabits the praises of His people. That's not a poem. That's a promise. So when we are thankful, we release His presence. His presence comes over us. Wisdom, burdens are gone. There cannot be any darkness in the light. Whatever's on you can't stay on you when Jesus is here. Whatever you need, He provides. In His presence is fullness of joy and riches forevermore. What? I like that. <laughs> riches, where is it? In His presence. We have to put thanksgiving is what opens Bridges' presence. Here's Luke 17. Was no one found to return to give praise to God except a foreigner? Jesus heals ten lepers. One comes back. One expresses gratitude. When's the, do you know what Thanksgiving is? Okay, Some of you are new to our country and you're like, oh, it's Thanksgiving under the pilgrims. No, wrong answer. It's just gratitude for having a heart for family. I'm just grat grateful for my family. Wrong answer. It's Thanksgiving where? Unto God. For everything that He has done, everything that He is doing, and everything that He is going to do. We need to completely recalibrate our thinking on that holiday. It is thanksgiving unto the Lord. And I just decree a season of thanksgiving over you. That you will take this word and you will for the next 90 days find something in your life to be thankful for. Every day. Even if it's the rising of the sun. Even if it's that I'm in the United States. I'm not, and you're not, you're not born. You have a privilege and a right to simply be in a country such as this. You say, America's not perfect. I believe in kneeling for the flag because I've never been a citizen. All that nonsense. I get it. I understand why, the, the, the method behind it. But America is the greatest ship going. Are you a nationalist, Kevin? I'm a kingdom person. But I've also been around the world. And I know where culture lies. And I know there's injustice in America. And I know there's pain in America. And I know that governments aren't correct in America. I get all that. Human government will never be correct. Human government will never solve the problem. The best it can be is the best it can be. That's it. And comparatively, the United States is the best it can be. So no, Europe's good. I've lived in Europe. I've lived there. Okay? I know what it's like there. I, I don't want to live in Europe. I took my, we took our niece who was 18 years old. She was so against Europe, so against the United States. We went to Europe. We spent about three months in Europe. She's like, I will never speak another bad word about the United States again. I'm like, yeah, thank you. So all you got to do, take a trip. Haiti's two and a half hours off the coast. You want to go down there? Go down there and see what it is. Go down to Colombia. Go down to Venezuela. Go to Puerto Rico. Go to any of these places, and you will see exactly what you have in this country. And so if you want to be thankful for anything, the fact that you are even here, you should be grateful. With privilege comes responsibility. We should use our freedoms well. No one's found to give thanks except the foreigner. The rocks should not steal your praise, Christian. If they will not thank me, I'll command the rocks. Find something to be grateful for. Stop looking at all the negatives. Walk across the street and get on the sunny side. You have Jesus. The world doesn't. Stop expecting them to have a positive attitude. They won't. 
You are to have the positive attitude. You are, the Bible says, to think yourself happy. So Paul said in Acts, I think myself happy. Some of you, there's a word for today. Think yourself happy. You could leave here today with that one. See, I didn't get to teach last week, so I got a lot to say this week. So there you go. <laughs> like, man, this guy's going on. <laughs> Paul says, I think myself happy. You, you think yourself happy, man. Find something. Thanksgiving releases presents. Next slide. Prayer is specific. Kingdom is active. Okay, so here's how the kingdom works. So it's specific, right? I'm going to teach you something, right? We do this here all the time because it's important to understand how God works. He works in dimensions and he works in spheres. So let's just say this. Micro, macro, meta, right? So micro is your immediate world. Your life, your needs, your wants, your family. That's the micro world. That's the micro kingdom that God is working in. Macro might be your city, might be your town, might be your county. It's a little bit bigger. The meta world is the global plan of God. So God is working in all of these spheres. Sometimes people come in with a burden of prayer, and they're like, we need to pray for the world. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. And we almost feel unjustified to actually pray for ourselves. Your life, your immediate circumstances. We ask for God to bring the kingdom and his will to be done. Is the kingdom of God operating in your life immediately? Is it happening? So when we're praying, we're looking at our own lives. What is it that you need? What is it that you want? Right? I like new believers a lot because they've not been programmed to believe that they don't have to ask, they're not allowed to ask God for anything. It takes about 20 years of false church teaching to get them to the point where they don't ask God for a thing anymore. It's true. Oh, we don't want to ask the Lord for anything. Ask Him for everything. Anything and everything. Give him something to work with. I always say, go big. Give him something to work with. Give here. Give me that. Okay, well, all right. Well, I'm going to give you this. We're going to start with this, and we'll see how you do with that. It, he's going to give you something. I can assure you of that. Jesus always does something. So you may as well go big. Ask for the whole pie and get a slice. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I got a slice, didn't I? <laughs> your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Is stress part of the... Is, is there any stress in heaven? Okay. Right? Is there any worry in heaven? Come on, help me out. He's like, I'm not sure. I don't know. I haven't thought about that lately. Is there any joblessness in heaven? Is there any poverty in heaven? Is there any sickness in heaven? That means it's not the kingdom. On earth as it is in heaven. If there's poverty in your life, that's not from God. Well, God's just trying to humble me through these meager circumstances. Who told you that? God has given me this sickness, Kevin. He's given it to me. You don't understand. He's teaching me. He's gracing me with the ability to suffer. I'm like, who told you that? Who told you that? That's a lie. And you're partnering with a lie. You can believe it if you want to, but I'm going to tell you right now on good authority, that is not the Bible. So you can call it what you want, but don't you dare tell me God gave you a sickness. God gave you a disease. Nowhere. Jesus is perfect theology. How many people did he afflict with sickness? Zero. And we could get theological on that, and I can break this down for you a hundred different ways, and trust me, I know what I'm talking about. I have done the work. I have done the research. Worry is not in heaven. Poverty is not in heaven. Sickness is not in heaven. Joblessness is not in heaven. And you know what, believer? Therefore, it has no right to be in your life. No right. We say it won't go right away. You ever tried to evict a tenant from a building? I used to be a landlord, okay? So I had a lot of properties at one time back in the day. 
I had at least 10 rental, 10 rental units. And when I had to release somebody from, a, from getting them out of my property because they were there irresponsibly, illegally, or the tenant moved out and somebody else moved in, I'm like, who are you? Oh, he left. He gave me the apartment. I'm like, okay, we well, haven't paid rent in two months. What's the deal? You know? And you got to go down and evict them. You ever realize how tough it is to get someone out of there? Some of you, you've got false tenants in your life, and you've had them there for decades. Some of you, those false tenants have been here in your life, gray all the way back into great-grandpa's generation. It's going to take you a little bit of time to evict these things from your life, but they can be evicted. Poverty can go from your line. Genetic inheritances that lead to consistent, persistent diabetes, strokes, heart disease, it's been in my line. It's a false tenant. You want to keep it? Go ahead. You want to keep it? It's yours to keep. But as for me and my house, no, sir. No, sir. Every male in my family has diabetes except one. Oh, ounce, 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 ounce. Not me. Uh-uh. Every male in my family suffers different difficulties and pain and hardships to a degree that, no, that is beyond belief. They look at my wife and I, my wife and I will stand there and our, our two families, our extended families are an example of the goodness of God. You can see the departure of blessing right here because we honor the Lord. We bless his name. We don't just know him, we live for him. Big difference. And because we do so, the river flows. Oh, you're just fortunate. You're just smarter. No smarter. No, no difference. You got to make up your mind. Do you want those tenants? Well, you know, pastor, we just have had that in the family and just alcoholism just runs in the line. Bless God, we're always going to struggle with alcoholism. Who told you that? That is a familiar spirit seeking to keep his place in the generational line of your family. It ends with me. Wrong answer. All, you've messed with the wrong Christian. All generational inheritances stop right here, and they stop right there. They don't stop in front of me. They stop behind me. There will be no, I am a bloodline of Christ, and so my generations flow a different stream. I've renounced all inheritances, all genetic connections to my family, and always, and I receive the bloodline that comes from heaven alone, and that is what I decree over my line. Blessed and not cursed. Above and not beneath. Big difference. You want to keep these tenants in your life? You go right ahead, man. And there are lots of them out there. You got a lot of company. Well, I just don't. You, you probably find five or six people today. Call them up. Well, the pastor said, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Let's just all get together. You know, I have this problem. You have this problem. Let's all just sit together and have a warm little party. You want to have that party? Go have it. But I'm not having it. I celebrate the goodness of God. And I will press into truth until truth becomes my reality. That's what I will do. What is? Come on. The ladies prayed over me this morning, so I'm like, woo! I'm like, uh. <laughs> what is required for overcome personal poverty? Next slide. So what, if you've got to ask something in your life, what's required? Poverty's in your life. What's required to overcome personal poverty? What's required to bring about change? There's some spiritual things, but there's also some personal things that you probably got to do. Change is the bridge from where you are to where you need to be. People fear public speaking. They fear death. And the third one they fear most is change. They don't like change. People don't like change. But change is the very thing that takes you from where you are to where you need to be. You need to change. Change the people, places, and things you're associating with. If you want transformation, you've got you to leave behind the old. You have to leave it behind. 
even a manner of thinking. You have to cur- you have to have the, not just change your thinking because God will give you revelation, God will give you vision, but you must also ask for courage. If you will not take courage into your heart and you will not step into the things that God has for you, they will not manifest. You have to step into what He's saying. Understand that? If you do not know specifically what you want, He can't give it to you. Prayer specific. If you don't know what you want, He can't give it to you. Okay, I'll tell you a little personal story. I know I'm running out of time, but guess what? I only got 10 minutes left, so we, you, know, you guys know that 11 o'clock, he's done. You know, 11.30, he's done. So here's the deal. Personal experience. I'm frustrated. Anybody feel frustrated with Jesus before? Come on, you can know I'm never frustrated with Jesus. I would never acknowledge that publicly ever. He knows you're frustrated, so you may as well admit it. We're frustrated. And I would be frustrated with the Lord, but I, I have a rule. You can, I'll teach you this. Say this, complaints always go up. You got to complain, stop talking, stop using the telephone ministry, stop complaining to everybody around you, take it to the only one who can do something about the complaint and let him bring it back to you. And so I would complain and I would be frustrated and, you know, and the Lord would look at me, you know what he would say? What do you want? What do you mean, what do I want? He'd be like, what do you want? Well, I don't even know what I want, but I don't want this. So how do you know, how do you know, that, how am I supposed to give you something when you don't even know specifically what it is that you want? Husbands, you know what I'm talking about? Your wife gets, ladies, I'll, use, I'll come from the female perspective that way, because I gotta go home. So, <laughs> I'll use myself. We like sheep are killed all the day long. So, now I'm, I've been married for a long time. So anyway, so Sherry will get very frustrated with me. Any women out there? Can I, can I help, help me help you? All right. <laughs> she gets very frustrated with me. And I would go to her, and, she used to, and I would tell the Lord, I'm like, I don't even know. What, what, is she, you know, what does she want? And I felt like he was like, ask her. And so I go to her, and I'm like, what do you want? And her first reaction was, well, you need to figure out what I want. You need to, you need to understand me and just know what I want. And I'm like, how am I supposed to know what you want when you don't even know what you want? This was early in the marriage, and this was how God tutored me, you know? And he would say, so I would go to her, I'm like, what is it specifically that you would like me to do? What is it specifically that you are asking of me? And, when I, and then she would go, well, I don't know, but I'll be back in a minute. So, like, she'd go, and maybe the next day she'd come, and she'd have a legal pad, and she'd sit down. The list has gotten a lot smaller because I've, been, I've gotten better at this, all right? But in the beginning, she'd come with a list of about 10 things. Remember those days? And she'd sit down, she'd go, okay, well, here's what I want. Boom, 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 on down the list. Because she took the time to go and figure out what she wanted. And you know what happened? Her frustration fell off. She was frustrated with me, expecting me to do something, and I didn't even know what she wanted. We treat the Lord the same way. We don't even know what it is that we're asking for. Or we feel too vulnerable. She was feeling too vulnerable to actually tell me what she wanted. Until she realized, well, I want this more than I want to feel vulnerable, so I want, I want to talk to him. So she set aside her vulnerability, and she actually began to talk to me. And it created a relationship, right? So ladies, you get frustrated with the brother. Now I'm going to help you out, guys. Stop getting frustrated with him. Find out what it is specifically that you want. Well, I want you to be nice to me. Okay, so what does niceness look like? Does that mean bring you flowers? Does that mean open the door? Does that, no, it looks like talking kindly to me. Oh, you want me to talk kindly to you? Okay, so forget the flowers, forget opening the door. This is what you want. You see the difference? I want you to be nice. Okay, well, what does nice mean? 
You know, I want you to spend time with me. Okay, well, what does spend time with me you mean? Does that mean I take you out to dinner? Does that mean we go to the movies? Does that mean we stay home and do Netflix? Is that, what, what, is, what does that mean? Well, it means this. And now when she wants me to spend time with her, she'll tell me specifically what she wants. And I give it. It's not like, well, I want you to spend time with me. And then I'm like, oh my gosh. Get the phone. Okay, we've got to book a reservation. We've got to do all this. You know, and she's like, I didn't want this. Well, you told me you wanted me to spend time with you. What do you want me to come doing? Any husbands out there? Anybody here? Oh. <laughs> you guys are quiet. Crickets. Crickets. But we treat the Lord the same way. We expect things from Him, and we get frustrated when we don't know what we want. We need to know what we want. Some of you would do you well to actually sit down and figure out what you want. You got in Hebrews, come boldly before the throne of grace that you may find mercy and help time of need. I'm going to move real fast, and, be, and I might skip a little bit, but if you want more, just come to the second service. We come to a throne, not an altar. This is a revelation that the church has to get. The sacrifice has been made. We're not coming before an altar. Let us all prostrate ourselves and declare before the Lord that we are worms and no longer people, that we are just saved by the abundant grace of God and that we are worthless. He never acknowledges you that way, ever one time, not once. He doesn't even tell you, to, there's not one mention of the altar in the New Testament. Not one. But there is a mention of a throne. Well, there's the altar of incense in the book of Revelation. Yeah, it's representative of prayer, but there's no representation of the altar of sacrifice at all in the New Testament. You don't come before an altar. The sacrifice has been made. You come boldly like a son and a daughter. You walk into the house knowing that you're loved, knowing that you're accepted, knowing that regardless of anything you've done or even anything that you're doing that's off kilter, your father still loves you. The Bible says immediately you get ilios, which is mercy. You know what it means? It means favor. As soon as you walk in the room, favor. Well, you don't know what I've been doing, Lord. Doesn't matter. Favor. Glad you're here. Wonderful. Come on in. Come on in. So we get favor immediately. No altar, no sacrifice. The blood has been paid. So stop sacrificing. Stop. You come as, a come as a son and a daughter. You can come humbly. You can come lovingly. I'm all about prostrating before the Lord in worship. But I'm not going to diminish who he says I am in light of that. And I'm not going to elevate myself beyond my status and think I'm something. I'm nothing. But in him, I'm all things. You see the difference? I don't walk around with some ego like, oh, I'm all this. I'm nothing. In Christ, I'm all things. And I can do all things. You know that verse? You get me? We come before a throne, not an altar. There, that means Jesus has the final authority. We obtain mercy, favors given to us, and we find grace, which is the word charis, which means spiritual power. So we go before the Lord to, find, to get, not just to receive the favor, but to obtain the spiritual power that is necessary. The concept of praying in the spirit is ilios, charis, and charismata. What does that mean? We go before the Lord. We receive his favor. We begin to stay in His favor. We begin to move in the river of love, which is charis. We begin to pray from the things that God is laying on our hearts and from this atmosphere of presence. And if you want to get real technical and we are a spirit-filled church, charismata. So we have ilios, charis, charis. You can pray in the Spirit and be following the river of the Spirit as He leads you. That's still praying in the Spirit. Or you can pray in tongues. That's charismata. That's the manifestation of the gift. That's a gift of the Spirit. Next slide. Pray with God, don't ask. We don't ask. If we, we, Christians either don't ask or we ask for the wrong reasons. We don't have because we don't ask, or we ask because we're asking off, off kilter, or we fail to be persistent. 
We pray the will of God. You know, this is a big point, so I'm going to center here and I'll probably close right here. But this is important. Well, I I got one more slide, but... Do you know that it's God's will that you have a job? Well, I would pray for a job, but I just don't know if it's God's will for me to have a job right now. Who told you that? The Bible says, let him who stole steal no longer, but let them work so that they may have something good to give. The Bible says if you don't work, you should eat. So it's God's will that you have a job. So when you're praying, you shouldn't even be questioning that. It's God's will that you prosper and be in health. Beloved, I desire that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Prosper, which is success, that you succeed, and that you be in health. It's his will. Okay? We don't pray because we don't even know the will of God. Well, I don't know God's will. Well, that's step one. Let's go learn God's will. Okay? It's God's will that you have favor. You're favored. You're favored. Somebody's going to get that promotion. And you know where the favor's on? The believer. Somebody's going to get that opportunity. And you know who the favor's on? The believer. There's nothing fair about favor. Stop denying the favor that is over your life and start walking in it. Start decreeing it. You didn't do anything to get the favor. He gave it to you. And if you want favor and you don't know Jesus, it's real quick. Come to Christ and you've got favor on you. We are favored. Blessed and highly favored. It's who we are. We are the light of the world. We have favor on us in every way. We are not diminished. Head and not the tail above only and not beneath. Just a thought. Generous. It's God's will that you be generous. Well, I don't know if it's the Lord's will for me to give or not. What? To be blessed and to be a blessing. It's God's will that you be blessed in order that you could be a blessing. It's not God's will that you be blessed so that you can have a TV show and get your house featured on cribs. That's not his point. His point is to provide resources to you that through you the kingdom might be established. Again, it's a position of honor. Well, I'm just, you know, he just, God just loves me, so that's why I have, no, you have it so that you can use it. It's God's blessing, that it's God's will that you be more than a conqueror. We do not go under, we go over. The Christian is an undefeatable entity. The only way you lose is when you quit, period. Be not weary in your well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. You cannot lose. Christian cannot be defeated. The only thing that can defeat them is when they quit. You cannot be defeated. I don't believe that. Well, then welcome to the life of defeat. But again, as for me and my house, I know that no circumstance is defeated. What can separate me? What can defeat me? Nothing. Nothing. Yea, in all these things, I'm what? More than a conqueror. Is that true or is that a poem? Are we reciting Longfellow or are we, 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 we quoting text here? We creating, quoting spiritual truth. It's God's will that love increases. It's God's will that there be reconciliation. It's not God's will that there be division. You can play that out anywhere. So when you're saying, I don't know if it's God's will to reconcile the matter, it's always God's will to reconcile the matter. Now that depends on people, but it is God's will to reconcile the matter. It's God's will to restore the matter. It's God's will that his world come into ours. That is his will on earth as it is in heaven. And I won't go any further. I'll just end it right here. I'll give you a little list. Okay? You guys get anything out of this? My random con? Right? Somebody says, why do you go off map? It's because there's people in the room and there's a pull in the room. There's a hunger in the room. So the Holy Spirit feels the hunger in the room and he starts moving towards the hunger in the room. Somebody's having division in their marriage. Hunger in the room. Whatever it is, whatever else random thing I said, it's because there's hunger in the room that's pulling this Holy Spirit to speak into that matter. That's why it happens. Make a list. You want prayer? Make a list. Ask the Holy Spirit to put some things on your heart. 
Lord, put some things on my heart. I'll give you another one. Lord, show me. Ready for this one? Show me the desires of my heart. Teach me what it is that I really want. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But if you don't even know, he can't give it to you. Lord, show me, sire in me what I really want. Release in me, reveal to me what I really want. Write down your needs, your desires. So the first thing is make a list. Second thing is get thankful. Verbalize your gratitude. You know, ready for this? Open your, say it with me, open my mouth. It's not enough to go, well, the Lord knows I'm thankful. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Open your mouth wide. Over and over again, the Bible tells you to verbalize. Verbalize your gratitude. If you're not ready to make his praises known in the congregation, which is, again, one of the Psalms, make his praises known in the congregation. Okay? If you're not ready for that, well, then make his praises known in the car. You know, or make his praises known in the bathroom. But find a place and make his praises known. Let the river of love begin to move in you, a gratitude, so thanksgiving opens up presence, and let the river of love begin to flow and begin to pray and begin to bless and begin to do this throughout the day. This is the communion of prayer throughout the day. God loves you. We love you. You guys are awesome. You guys are amazing. So good to see you. You guys grateful? Oh, I love you too. Let me bless you guys one more time. Just receive it. Just receive it. Father, it's our hearts to be thankful. Holy Spirit, we can be so ungrateful. We can be so indifferent. We don't want to be that way, Lord. We don't want to be cold. We don't want to be calloused. We don't want to be beyond feeling or compassion. Renew a right spirit within us, God. Holy Spirit, teach us to be thankful. Show us how to be thankful. Release in us the attitude of gratitude. And we could have more of you. Father, I bless these people. I honor them as you honor them. And I speak your words of life to them. And I speak this prayer. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.